If you would like to support the podcast and get some extra content while you're there, head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast and sign up from the rewatch to the Q&A. We will have loads of content every week. So sign up patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. And now here's the podcast. Graham McDonald is an idiot. Sean Sheehan of severemma.com. He even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god. This is Severe MMA. 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 The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome to the Severe MMA podcast. Here's your host, Sean Sheehan. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 392 of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan, aka the pod god, Shawnee Christmas, whatever you want to call me, you know, joined today by the uh, Damon Targaryen of Irish MMA media, <laughs> uh, Graham McDonald, as we uh, talk about some mixed martial arts. You know, um, we are going to start off by looking ahead to next week's offerings, and then I will throw it over to maybe Graham. Maybe myself, who knows? Maybe someone else to uh, to look back on last week's uh, mixed martial arts offering. But as always, I must tell you that this uh, episode is brought to you by our friends over at Manscaped. And as we all know, it's never too early to start playing the holiday music, and it's never too early to prepare for gifts as well. We're into December now, so it's about time. Whether it's for a friend or the friend in your pants, you can make this season the season to be jolly with Manscaped. Do your little drummer by a favor and use the man uh, the lawnmower 4.0 to avoid another silent night in the bedroom add in Manscaped's top of the line shower products to have the people thinking all I want for Christmas is you I actually got them the other day and they are brilliant anyway we'll, we'll talk about that in a second Santa cares about his sack and so should you look nice when you get naughty by going to manscaped.com and using the promo code SEVEREMMA S-E-V-E-R-E-M-M-A uh, for free shipping and 20% off uh, Cyber Monday is just gone Black Friday is just gone but we still have a great 20% off and free shipping for you so it's absolutely brilliant the Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 is a one-stop shop for a man who deserves it all. The Platinum Package has each product from the best-selling performance package, plus ultra-premium body wash, ultra-premium 2-in-1 shampoo and conditioner, ultra-premium deodorant as well. Now, I haven't used the deodorant yet, but I'm going to use it uh, in, in the morning. I'm actually going to, I'm going to a wedding, and uh, I've used the other two, and I love them. I actually think they have, like, upgraded, and they, they had, like, a... A two-in-one shampoo and body wash before. I really, I think this is way so much better. I think they've really upgraded the body wash and in the shampoo with, and conditioner separate to that are absolutely brilliant. So you could stay fresh from your Santa hat to your candy cane. The Lawnmower 4.0 body trimmer is in that as well with the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer, which both have the proprietary advanced skin safe technology to protect your, uh, your delicate presence. Uh, butter waterproof as well, so you can run them under the tap or in the shower, whatever you want to do it. There's also a 4000K LED light on it, so you can light the way for Rudolph. 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 Actually, my family, I'll call it Rudolph. Rudolph. Does anyone else say that? It's, it's Rudolph, like, they call him Rudolph. Anyway, now you've groomed your candy cane, it's time to make sure you don't smell like a reindeer with the Platinum Packages shower products, the ones I said are absolutely brilliant, and they are. They are sulfate-free, vegan, and made to have your skin feeling hydrated and smelling fresh. But smelling good doesn't stop at the shower, the Crop Preserver and the Crop uh, Reviver Ball 
Toner uh, can solve stank problems all day long. Everyone knows I love them. Once they touch your sack, you'll never go back. The Planet Package 4.0 sitting under the tree is guaranteed to put anyone in the holiday spirit. And for the perfect stacking stuffer, uh, stacking stuffer, stocking stuffer, add in the brand new body buffer, an incredible body scrubber that makes exfoliating easy. Um, and a lot cleaner than the old loofah. Also, I got um, I got the the lip lip. What's a lip balm? Is that what it's called? You know the stuff you put on your lips, like little lip shaky thing that makes your chaff lips better. Ah, I love it. I honestly, I'm very picky about them. I love that. Anyway, get twenty percent off and free shipping. Uh, with the code severemmanscaped.com. There's twenty percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code severemma manscaped. Get your jingle balls ready for the holidays. Right, Graham, let's uh, let's talk a bit about the, the big UFC coming up, UFC 282, uh, headlined by Jan Blachowicz versus Magomed Ankalaev for the vacant title. Obviously, if people have been living under a rock, Yuri Prohachka injured his shoulder, Glover Teixeira uh, and him were supposed to fight, obviously, and that fight was cancelled. Glover Teixeira said he would fight Blachowicz, uh, according to Ariel's reporting, I think it was Ariel reported that uh, the UFC wanted Ankalaev in a title fight. Glover didn't want to fight Ankalaev, obviously, because it's a very different matchup to Prohachka. He had fought Blahovich before, so you can understand why he'd want to take that. So he turned down the Ankalaev fight, or said he'd fight the Ankalaev fight in the new year, and the UFC didn't want that. So uh, they moved on from Glover, they moved on from Yuri, and they made Jan Blahovich versus Ankalaev for the title. And look, on its own, it's, it's it's a good fight I suppose it's I, I've been thinking about this because we talked about it a couple of weeks ago just when the announcement kind of came myself and Ian jumped on and uh, and did a quick video over on YouTube and I, I've been thinking about it afterwards and a couple of people asked in the Q&A about like how we feel about maybe the Look, the Prochka part is easy, I suppose. You feel obviously very, very bad for him. His shoulder injury is probably the worst injury you can get. It's it's absolutely awful. And the, the fact that he vacated the belt, I know, like he is that sort of, you know, he's that samurai attitude. I don't think he'd want to hold on to the belt anyway. So, but you just feel sorry for him. But in the, in the Clover one, Graham, the two of us, there's probably no bigger admirers of Glover to share over the last four or five years, even though we've, you especially have constantly picked against him. Uh, but he's been such a great fighter. And well, such, no, that's Jan I picked against a lot of like, Clover I'm always picking for it I'm picking for it okay fair enough but the, the fact like he's obviously getting on in age now this really like we see it sometimes people turn down a title shot and then okay maybe you'll get the winner but then maybe you won't get the winner maybe you'll have to fight Jamahal Hill to get back to get the winner and that's not going to be an easy thing or you know someone like that and it's it's very very tough for someone like Glover and I know you know it was a rematch and everything like that and he has somewhat thrown away the last one against Prochka when he was winning but I, I, I have to say and the more I think of it the more I feel for Glover the more I feel like do you know the UFC with the way and I'm not going to complain here about all oh, loads of cards and all because I feel like we do that enough and we've done that too much but the fact that they have to fill a card with a headliner the fact that this card probably isn't strong enough to go without it in terms of a pay-per-view card that they need the title fight on it it forces them into making uh, uh, you know, uh, probably a decision they wouldn't make if they had the time like if you were to think about what the right the you know, decision is for the whole of the division right at the top right now. I, you know, and maybe it's Ankalaya versus um, Glover, and maybe they tried to make the right decision. I will absolutely give them that. But 
the fighters should have a say as well and the fact that the fighters don't really have a say and the UFC can just hold 100% authority and move on and do this is look it's it'll be great for the card when we're watching it next Saturday night but for the fighters themselves and for the, actually the good of probably the division and the sport um, it just I just have a bit of a raw feeling about it how, how do you feel about it are you just happy the fight's kind of happening well, I think that, yeah, it's kind of mixed feelings. I think you, you hit the nail on the head with the reasoning being they need, they need, quote, big fights for these endless cards, as, as you kind of hinted at. The problem, the problem is, I don't know if you if you think it kind of degrades the the belt a little bit, you know. I agree, uh, yeah, it does. You know, all these interim belts in the past and stuff didn't help, but just, you know. Jan versus Ankalaev for the, for the belt. If you had said that, like what? two months ago that that was going to happen it would kind of seem a bit more kind of ridiculous because obviously the situation has kind of landed as you kind of hinted at the UFC has been kind of forced into a into a corner here and we don't know what happened with Glover maybe he had some kind of injury that he was going to fight through or you know he, maybe he's happy to pull out or you know maybe there's stuff going on because I, I think Glover's been around long enough to know and at his age and you know how quickly your kind of path can change with, when you zig and you should when you zig and you, when you should have zagged and all that stuff so that getting back to that that title, like you know, is is you know, it's a it, it can be a fleeting moment, and you may never come back. So I'd be surprised if Glover didn't try to position himself um, into this uh, title fight if if it was at all possible for him. I think he must have been kind of holding an injury, or the UFC didn't want to pay him, or there must be something going on there because I'd be very surprised if Glover just said, "Ah, I'm all right, mate. You can you can you two can fight for it because." You know, I know he's already become the champion, but I'm sure he'd like to, you know, kind of confirm his his eliteness uh, and add to his legacy uh, before he retires. You know, these guys, it's a short career, and for Glover, it's it's definitely coming towards the end. I know he's made a surge and all, but at that age, you could you could kind of fall off a hill at any moment, or a, a serious injury could could kind of end it for you. So. Yeah, it's a it's a strange situation, but I think there must be something more going on than they just decided not to put Glover in there. Yeah, I, I look, I think it is what I really reported, honestly, that Glover would be happy to fight Blahovich, but didn't want to fight Ankalaev uh, on this notice, and then the UFC kind of move on because they hold all the authority. And I, do you know the weird, the weird thing about this one as well? I actually think I'm not like I don't mind interim titles most of the time. Um, and if this was for an interim title, I could actually, you know, I could actually understand it. if the winner maybe fought Glover for the interim title and then fought Blahovich when he came back, or, or sorry, um, Prachka when he came back, all well and good. But you know, the severity of the injury might might preclude that. But this one, it just feels extra weird because we had a title fight between two guys, and now we have another title fight between two different guys. It just it feels like a silver belt or something like that. And that's no disrespect to Blahovich or Ankalaev; they're both two very good fighters, and either one of them could have been fighting in front of Glover for the title so there's there's absolutely no problem with that whatsoever it, it, it kind of shows like you know remember when we me, 10 years ago when me and you were kind of getting into covering the sport the light heavyweight belt was kind of like the main yeah. the main belt it was like the, the Chuck Liddell's and Randy Couture's Tito, all them and then like even moving forward with Shogun you know all that stuff John Jones and now <laughs> you know <sighs> It's hard, like it's hard to get excited about this this fight as a as a, as a casual. I'd imagine, like I'm actually very interested in this fight to see how it looks like a step up for Ankalaev, you know, all that stuff. But like, if I was trying to convince a mate of mine who's kind of on, on the fence about watching the UFC guards, I'm gonna have a very difficult job here. You know, uh, the co-main event might save it a little bit, but like a uh, good bit. But in, 
in terms of you know the prestige that used to go with this belt it's hard to say it's still there in this way you know yeah. as you said it kind of seems like not really the real belt even though it is Someone someone actually mentioned that in the, the Q&A the other day, and I'm interested you said it as well, because so it's, uh, the way the person put it to me in the Q&A was like, Prohachka was finally bringing a bit of excitement back to it. And that's no disrespect to these two guys or Glo- of Glover or anyone like that. But you are right, like, that the prestige had kind of gone away from it. And as I said, it's nothing got to do with any of the fighters in terms of their ability or anything like that. It's just... Like one champion is going to be more exciting than another champion, or one is going to bring, you know, more ice. Like even if they're a worse fighter, like like look at Demetrius Johnson, he was the greatest fighter of all time, but I feel like that that title has been way more exciting since Demetrius Johnson is gone, and that's you know you can have those realities side by side. There's absolutely no problem with that. Now it just so happened that you know uh, Tito and Chuck were the best fighters of their era, and John Jones is the best fighter along with Demetrius and a few others of his era, and now you probably couldn't say that for for the ones in in the moment but that is cyclical like someone could emerge and become that Uh, so i I wouldn't get too bogged down in that but at the the final itself, let's talk about it you said you're you're looking forward to it i i think it's a very evenly matched fight what what way do you see the fight going not necessarily in terms of the winner but in terms of how how it you know falls i suppose i I feel like this is going to be five rounds of kickboxing what do you think it's going to be yeah exactly i think it's going to be you know, it's going to be pretty tense, uh, close rounds. I think it's probably going to be, you know, on a knife edge for two or three of those rounds and maybe two or three of those rounds are clear enough. I think I'm always picking against Jan, as I kind of talked about earlier, but I think I'm going to have to pick against him again here because I think Akalaya, if he follows the game plan, is just going to be able to kind of, you know, uh, edge out the rounds. And as the fight goes on, maybe he, he could get a late stoppage or he could kind of take over the fight like that. But, you know, I've underestimated Jan so many times in the past and, you know, I, you can't really let that influence, like, your your pick and how you see the fight going. But with Jan, he is a bit unorthodox and maybe the, the striking doesn't look as effective as it actually is. And he's, he's kind of used that to his advantage before. It's a bit of a... It's a bit of, it's a, bit of a herky... I don't know. It's a bit of a... Similar to the kind of... Keith Jardine, um, who used to look like he couldn't really strike, but he would uh, throw from strange angles or throw at strange timing and manage to catch people. And, you know, uh, I think Jan's obviously on a different level than Keith Jardine, but I think, uh, you know, on the eye, maybe his striking isn't isn't um, isn't great uh, to look at, but it, it's, it's been very effective for him. You know, he's got to the top of this division. No matter what we say about this, this division, it's still a prestigious belt is still a fantastic achievement and all that and this is a chance to kind of put himself on, uh, back on top and I'm sure I'm sure this is a you know huge fight for him and he's really motivated but Ankalaev is here for the first time to kind of you know uh, change his life in a way as well so maybe he has a little bit more motivation as well but I think if if Ankalaev sticks to a to a pretty simple game plan he probably should be able to edge this out yeah, I, I'm honestly not sure. Uh, uh, do you know what? Uh, my prediction for this fight is probably a, a split decision. <laughs> like, I think it's going to be very close. I think there's going to be a lot of nip and tuck rounds. Like, Ankalaev and Yan are both guys who are not going to take massive shots. I don't think now maybe that'll change. Or maybe someone will take over and it could be a beatdown or something like that. But often, like... Often that happens in a rematch between two guys like this and not the actual first fight itself. So I can, I really, I, I think I can see this one going long and being very close. Your point on Blahovich as well, and somewhat Ankalaev, I think also, 
they're one of those and are two of those fighters who and, and especially Blovich it's almost hard to tell how good he is because of the way he fights because it's very kind of unassuming it's very kind of uh, slow is the wrong word but detailed and it's it's almost too you know too good for our puny little brains to, to, under, to understand it at times and it shows when you fight someone like an Adesanya or whoever it might be where he just kind of plays them a little bit and it's just a little bit better than them and they can't hit him and then as you said the, the little bit of unorthodoxy comes out and he lands those big shots and I actually think the what you said there is a great point uh, for the big shots I think for like the the normal when he throws his jab when he throws his one two down the middle and it's just kind of the normal in the middle of the fight I actually think he is very um, very fundamentally good you know and to, to kind of mix those two things together makes a very very good fighter whereas Ankalaev I think it's all kind of fundamentals with him whether he is wrestling whether he is striking or doing whatever he does I think it's very fundamental for him and that leads to like a destruction of guys who are maybe a level below him and then as we saw in, in the um, was it the Diego Santos fight it's not the most you know it's it's not the most exciting fight in the world where he's kind of just picking a guy apart for the whole fight now Blahovich does that kind of in between the big bits and if there's two guys doing that there probably won't be as many big bits if you want to put it that way like will Blahovich land big shots like uh, he does in, in some fights or knock some knock Ankalaev out I would say probably not and then it comes down to who is the better technical uh, you know formulaic fighter I suppose and I honestly I'm not sure I, like if, if it's come down to that that alone, I would probably say Ankalaev, but MMA rarely comes down to one thing like that. Like it could come down to something different. Like who's the bigger, stronger man who can maybe get a takedown and put it in there. Like Blahovic is shown at the top level, he can fight a formulaic, fundamental fight against someone really good, say like an Adesanya, and then throw in a takedown as well. Now Ankalaev will be a lot harder to take down than Adesanya. So. Although I, I think in the most important part of the fight, I would probably lean Frank alive. I, I think in the all-round aspect of it, I'd probably lean Blahovich. So I, I honestly, I don't know what this one. I re, like, I, I think this is going to be so, 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 so close. And I look, I don't think it's going to be an amazing fight. Um, I think it's going to be one of those ones maybe where, as you said, Graham, we'll be looking forward to it. And the, the, the people who are listening to this podcast will be looking forward to it. And probably on the edge of our seats in terms of like who's winning this round, who's who's going to win the fight. It goes into the fifth round. About, is it two two? Is it three one? Is it three, you know three one Blahovich? Is it three one Ankalaev? You you never know. That's the type of fight I'm expecting, and it'll keep us kind of uh, entertained for the whole lot of it. So I'm looking forward to it, and uh, I think it uh, I think it should be uh, should be an interesting fight uh, at least. Uh, let's move on and talk about Paddy Pimblett against Jared Garden. Um, is this the, the people's main event, as Ariel would say? It, I would say it definitely is, yeah. And it's it's a very interesting one because Jared Garden is is definitely a step up for Paddy Pimblett. Um, I, I watched a bit of Jared Garden a couple of weeks ago and, you know, he is a good fighter, but I think probably the right step up for Paddy at this stage of his career. You know, he's not 
a massive knockout artist or anything like that. Hasn't had a knockout since 2017, and that was ground and pound, you know. And before that, it was you know maybe before he was in the UFC in 2016. So it's it's not exactly like he's gone in here against a big knockout striking artist or anything like that. What I would say about Jared Garden after watching him, he's a good, well-rounded fighter, not the most athletic guy in the world. You see when he went in there against Grant Dawson, he had issues, but he he did beat Chris Fishgold, you know, who's a good wrestler and all like that. He beat Joe Selecki and Leonardo DeSantis. He's some good wins in, in his record and he's been in there with Charles Oliveira and Grant Dawson and Diego Ferreira, some of you know, some of the top fighters. Uh what first of all, before we talk about Paddy and all that, what do you think of this actual matchup? Do you think it makes sense? Do you think Jared Garden is uh has a chance of beating Paddy? What what do you think of it? Yeah, I think it's good matchmaking. I think he does have a chance of winning. I think Paddy is probably still the favourite, but I think he, he won't have it all, all his own way. He'll definitely, well, he'll likely face some adversity here and it could, it probably will be a, a decision if, you know, Paddy's always dangerous. He could take the back and get a rear naked choke or something like that, but I'm expecting this to be a tough fight where maybe there's some close rounds and um, Paddy will probably have his moments, but I'd say Gordon will probably have his moments as well. You know, uh, we've talked about it in the past. Paddy, you know, his striking on the feet has definitely improved a lot, but I think his defensive striking is still a question that needs to be needs to be answered. And I think we may get some question some some of those um, answers here. But you know, as he goes, if he, if he wins this fight and you know they, they continue to kind of slowly progress him, uh, I think we're, hopefully for Paddy fans and hopefully for you know uh, this side of the pond, uh, you know, as they say in the states, <laughs> um, yeah, Paddy can can keep winning, but. This is definitely by far his toughest fight in the UFC so far, and you know it's a big spot from the co-main event of a of a pay-per-view under a title fight. So you know he's definitely been in big positions before. Maybe Jared Gordon hasn't. You know maybe m- maybe that will affect the fight. But I think you know people like Gordon and uh, Pimblet um, opponents going forward are going to kind of think this is my chance to kind of make a name for myself and to really kind of propel myself in terms of um, popularity and, and all that stuff because there is a lot of people who love Paddy but there's also a lot of people who don't like him and when you're a big personality you're going to be polarizing and um, you know when there's a lot of hype behind you and you're getting matchups that maybe people like Gordon haven't, haven't got uh, throughout their UFC career there's definitely a bit of extra extra incentive there for your opponent to you know put on a good performance and to beat you so yeah, it's it's a difficult fight for Paddy, and um, there's a number of factors going into it. I'm I'm always interested in in Paddy Pimblet fights. They're always exciting, you know, win or lose, nearly always exciting anyway. And you know, um, there's a lot on the line. There's jeopardy in this fight, in my opinion. So uh, yeah, I think um, I think this is a really good fight. I, I would tend to agree. I d- I think the very important thing for Jared Garden here is one that he's very experienced, right? And two, he's going to need it <laughs> because when you fight Paddy, you know, you've talked about it before. Obviously, being you know backstage at Conor. Fights and and that kind of fights and says it's it's different. We saw it with Molly there a couple of weeks ago. They were all singing, "Let's go meet Bonnie," and if there's a dip, different sort of atmosphere. Jared Garden will never have experienced that sort of thing before, although he has experienced a lot. Now the other part of that as well, and where I think the experience for Jared Garden really plays into it, is that I think a lot of people get overwhelmed by Paddy's game plan. I, I I was watching one of his vlogs the other day, which are absolutely brilliant. If you haven't uh, seen him, do do check them out. They're they're fantastic. But he was talking about like how he just goes in there and people can't live with his pace and he goes at him from the very start and he you know he goes 100 percent and that is true like paddy the one thing about paddy he, he's not a liar you know he has paddy is as real as they come and some people they say they are and they're not paddy is and paddy tells the truth and he comes out and he will go for jared garden like he goes for everyone else 
But that experience, Jared Gordon has seen there, seen that before. He's been there, done that. He's fought against all different sort of opponents. Now it's not always gone well, absolutely. But I don't think he'll be like some of the like some of the other opponents that Paddy's face in the UFC, especially maybe not out so much outside of it, who'll just kind of wilt at that. And that's interesting to see if that doesn't happen. Now, look, if Paddy goes out and he gets a, a, a first round submission or knockout. All well and good. What I'm about to say is, is no good. But if he doesn't, what's going to happen then? Is Paddy going to be able to adjust and win a three-round fight, win a decision? Or is Paddy going to gas and Jordan take over? Gordon, sorry, take over and and win the fight after that. Say, lose the first round and win the second and third after Paddy has kind of uh, uh, you know blown his wad and, and and there's no more left. Big weight cut as well, always with Paddy. You know, he's always talking about that. And he kind of comes into fight week and he kind of denies it. And then after fight week, he was talking. To, he talked to one of his vlogs as well about it. he spent a whole seven week fight camp just cutting down the weight to make it for. I think it was his last fight or the one before it. So like. It's always difficult. Now, he's looked very light, long way out, which I'm not sure is a great thing either, if we're, if we're being honest, uh, with, in any, for any fighter. But we'll, we'll see how that works out. I'm very interested to see Paddy tested here. Right, like if it, if it's a first round win and all, everyone will be excited and it'll be great, and you know ro- the, the bandwagon rolls on, and that's good. I wanted to roll on and say like, I hope Paddy Pimblett wins the UFC title. I really do. I hope he goes all the way. Everyone knows my skepticism about it. Everyone knows what I what I think of Paddy. Does not need for me to, to continue to go over it, but hater. And I'm I'm not though. I re- I actually really like Paddy. I know, I know, money job. And the thing about it is, is I do you know I always say I watch his vlog, and I do. I don't watch anyone else's vlog. I don't watch any other. I I consume very little fighter MMA stuff or even UFC MMA stuff in terms of like what they put out in their YouTube and all like that. But I watch Paddy stuff. But um. This, it's it's interesting. I wonder can Garden be the test? That's my big question here. And if he can, and you know as well, like we talk about Paddy and him having issues. But if he did get a test against Jordan, and let's say one twenty nine twenty eight, or won a split decision or whatever, and was pushed to the pin of his collar, that might be the best thing that ever happened to Paddy, and it might help him. And he might improve from there. Like he, there's no doubt about it. Paddy tell you himself he needs to make improvements. And I think um, if this fight could uh, could help institute him, I think it, it might benefit him. So very interested to see how it goes and uh, looking forward to uh, very much looking forward to that fight that's probably the fight in this card I'm, I'm most looking well maybe maybe the second most looking forward to I think the one I'm most looking forward to is Bryce Mitchell versus Elia Tapuria 15 and 0 versus 12 and 0 what a fucking fight this is like it's the old school wrestler versus striker I suppose although Elia can uh, can wrestle as well and you know um, Bryce can do a bit of striking you know Tapuria's last fight against Joy Herbert he almost got knocked out very early it was probably the worst performance um, of his recent career anyway we saw against Ryan Hall when he was made with those weird kind of takedowns it'll be very different from Bryce Mitchell he dealt well with him and, and he ended up uh, basically destroying Ryan Hall he has unbelievable power striking technical striking and Bryce Mitchell unbelievable wrestling and ability to to dominate someone on top like I, I feel like I'm a bit biased towards Taporia I don't know why I have no reason to be biased but I, I just like him and I don't know I I, I think it, like if he can stop the wrestling you win the fight if he can't he won't it's as simple as that do you, do you think he will be able to stop it do you, do you fancy Taporia or will he go, be going with Mitchell yeah I'd probably lean Taporia like I was very impressed with his performance against Joy Herbert I think We've mentioned in the past, Joy Herbert's kind of UFC run doesn't really reflect, um, in my opinion, kind of where he's at. Like, you know, if he had a different matchmaking, I suppose is what I'm trying to say. He, maybe things could have been different, but, you know, it was a really good performance, um, you know, to put away uh, Herbert like that. Like, um, 
you know, you mentioned the Ryan Hall fight, you know, uh, with with um, with um, Deporia. You know, he, he Ryan Hall's obviously when he when he came into the UFC was kind of an exciting, kind of different style and kind of interesting to watch. But I think it's kind of fallen away, fallen away, and you know, he's definitely still a hard guy to deal with. And he went in there and dealt with him with, with ease. So, he, like, you know, his last couple of fights, he's looked really, really good. He's undefeated. I know Bryce Mitchell is undefeated too. He's a really good wrestler. I think, it, as you hinted at, it kind of comes down to the can he, can he stop the wrestling? And, you know, uh, I think that that's that's the big question here. And I think uh, if I had to bet, I think he can. But we, we haven't had that question and um, posed and answered yet. So, it's 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 an unknown, you know. Uh, this this fight kind of either guy, wh- whichever guy wins this fight, is making a big statement, in my opinion. You know, uh, it'd be a big win for either guy. Obviously, they're they're both undefeated, uh, and they're they're both undefeated inside the UFC. There loads of momentum, loads of confidence, all that stuff. So, yeah, I think I think it all comes down to the takedowns, and I think you know, I think he can stuff enough takedowns to to win the rounds or to you know get a finish on the feet, but. Would I be that surprised if Mitchell can get the takedowns and squeak out a decision or uh, even win a quite dominant decision as the fight goes on? I wouldn't be that surprised, but I, I definitely think uh, Deporia is the, is the picker. Yeah, I, I'll go with that too. The other two fights in, on the main card are uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio against Robbie Lawler and Darren Till against Drickus Duplessis. Uh, I, I like, look, Lawler and Ponzinibbio is probably going to be... Uh, a stand-up bar for as long as it goes. Robbie's still doing it. He hasn't looked as great in, in recent fights. Pon- it's hard to know where Ponzinibbio is. He obviously had a lot of time off for injuries, come back, and certain fights he looks good, and other fights, and other part of fights even, he doesn't look great. So it's tough to know about that one. I would probably favour Ponzinibbio uh, over Lawler at this stage of his career, but look, I think it should be fun. And in the darn till, drink a stupid one. Like... Drickus Duplessis, I think, is a massively flawed fighter, but similar to Paddy, he comes in and fights at such a pace, with such kind of bravery, that it's very hard for anyone to deal with that. Now, Darren Till, I think, at his best, like, well, sometimes we forget that Darren Till is, is not a, is not actually that bad of a fighter, to be honest. Like, he went in there um, against Wonderboy, and, you know, you can argue whether he won or lost that fight, no problem, but it was a close fight, and he did very well. He went in there, you know, beat fucking cowboy beat Kelvin Gastelum had a yeah. very close fight with uh, at the with time Whitaker. that was a really big win against Gastelum as well yeah. you know uh, you know Gastelum's kind of fallen off a little bit so it's kind of easy to forget where he was in 2019 but that was a big win and then you know obviously the decision with Whitaker and the the Renick choke loss to Derek Bunsen isn't ideal and uh, more than a year off and all those things but you know, in terms of the competition they both face, I think that Till definitely has an advantage and he's never really, you know, he's always been able to hang. He's always been able to kind of, uh, nearly always been able to anyway. Um, and, you know, uh, Brad Tavares, I think, you know, as as well-rounded as he is, he isn't great anywhere. And, and Darren Till definitely poses a lot more threat and has knockout power and, you know, is a... Uh, is nasty with his strikes and can can you know turn a fight with with, with one shot. So uh, I'd, I'd pick Darren Till a lot easier if if he hadn't been out for over a year. But I still think Darren Darren Till has enough to get it done here, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's a if it's a nice knockout. I. Uh... Darren Till at his best, and if he does look at his best next Saturday night, I think he'll win. But 
I don't think Darren Till is at his best anymore, honestly. Um, I, I, it's not that he's past his best or old or anything. He hasn't that much wear and tear or anything like that. I just think something has changed for Darren Till in his career, his life or whatever, and he's just not the same as he once was. Um, I think it's a mindset thing. Maybe. maybe yeah. you know, it's, I don't know. It's, I, I'm not sure what it, what it is. Every time I hear him speak, it seems to have like the same mindset he always had. Which is, you know, very little. You know, when you're an undefeated up and coming fighter and the kind of hype is on you and you're getting a lot of tension and the momentum's going your way, obviously the confidence is is at at an all time high. And then you kind of, you know, things don't go your way, problems arise, and maybe the you know the self-belief needs to be restored. And you know, obviously if you can go in there and get a big knockout, that would help a lot. Like, but you know, it's kind of make or break here. You know, if he loses, if he loses this fight, you know, they kind of the road back to the top or the road to the top is, is a very long road that I, you know, if he can't win this fight, it's probably unlikely that he can, then he can overcome. So hopefully he's motivated, you know, uh, to make, you know, to make a run at at a kind of showing the potential that people kind of, that he obviously believes he, he has and that people kind of did believe he had a, kind of fallen off um kind of remind those people why but yeah uh, i wouldn't be that surprised if he went in there and didn't look great but uh, i think i think he's gonna have enough to do it here i think you know there's, there's a lot of questions around the police as well like uh, it's a difficult one because you know maybe maybe he just needs that step up to show what he can do you know maybe this will be the kind of coming out party for him and it'll be kind of the the whatever happened to Darren Till video is coming coming out on YouTube, but yeah, yeah I, uh, I think Darren Till, you know, he, he should have enough to win a pretty lopsided decision or to get the finisher. Mm, fair enough. Uh, the rest of the card, it's actually a pretty good card. Uh, Edmund Shabazzian is back. Interest see how he looks always. He's fighting Dalcha Lingi and Bula. Billy Q is on the card against Alexander Hernandez. Eric Silva, TJ Brown. Jarzino Rodenstruck against Chris Dawkins. Chris Curtis, Jackie and Buckley. That's an interesting fight. Uh, and in loads more as well. Uh, under that OSP is on the card with his uh, one-handed fighting and all that. So, you know, pretty, pretty fun card. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, there's would, a you, would you say would you say he practices using his other hand, but he just can't do it? Like Melvin Gillard uh, just can't defend rear naked chokes, or do you think it's like just he just doesn't bother? I don't know what's going on. I, I, I don't know how it works. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Like he, his coaches must be like, mate, like come on, mate, like, come on. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> what's up here? Uh, yeah, man, just the odd time, like, even. <laughs> just just throw. You know, have you have a right hand too? Don't you? Yeah, come well, on, flick, it, flick it out there, like flick it out. like you're gonna nah, throw it. At least, he does but. sometimes flick it out there, but he's more one handed than Nick Newell is. <laughs> <laughs> he actually he's like he is. there's actually another lad that's fighting in one championship who's very similar as well he just you know you see him and they, they fight southpaw and they throw a jab and then they, they turn around and then they throw the right hand you know it's like it's just so weird I, I always wonder how fighters like that fucking um how fighters like that cope and how like go and speak at the championship level with the decision with John Jones and he can only throw one hand it's bizarre to me but anyway um Right, let's look ahead to Bellator. And Graham, do you know in my part of the country, you actually can't... Bellator is on Virgin Media, and Virgin Media is sporting. You actually can't get it in my part of the country, right? 
the so middle of nowhere the middle of nowhere so do you know do you ever do you ever get frustrated Graham that you can't watch certain live sporting events because they aren't televised or available in your country well with NordVPN I could switch my virtual location to a country that is showing the sports event which would be Bellator in this case uh, and I can watch it so I don't miss out and I could watch the action live you know, we're on the, the brink of a global recession now and the world has gone crazy. You need to cut back on spending a little bit, even if, you ha- even if you're in Dublin or somewhere like that and uh, don't want to pay for uh, uh, Virgin Media Sports or whatever it is. You know, NordVPN, it can help save money as well as protect from cybercrime. You could change your virtual location, sign up for subscription subscription services for other countries and pay a cheaper price like uh, Netflix. Um, you, can, you can watch American Netflix and other things like that or when you're in New UK, if you're in the UK or Ireland, you can watch American Netflix and vice versa and all that. Also, you can book flights and holidays via another country and pay less. NordVPN essentially pays for itself uh, with savings. It's absolutely brilliant. And I know people are increasingly um, concerned about cybercrime and everything like that. NordVPN is a one-stop shop for all cybersecurity. It's incredibly safe for me to use uh, with just one click. I'm protected. I don't have uh, to be a tech genius or anything like that with NordVPN account. You can have up to six devices protected. It's absolutely brilliant. No longer have to worry about hackers, malicious sites, pop-ups, or anything like that. So, you know, you have that you have NordPN, NordVPN, they're the solution to that. It's it's the price of a cup of coffee every month. A price of a small uh, a small price to pay for premium cybersecurity and access to a vast amount of entertaining content from all over the world. And you can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash severe MMA and you'll get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So, as I said... Exclusive NordVPN deal. Go to uh, nordvpn.com forward slash severe may try it risk free now with a 30 day money back guarantee. Honestly, if you just go to now nordvpn.com forward slash severe may look at the prices, look at the amount of money you get off. It is phenomenal. And on like, uh, so last week, and I was just taking, taking this right, PFL was on, and PFL got 60 quid in uh, America. But it was free in Ireland and the UK on YouTube. If if you'd not VPN, you could just change to the UK and Ireland, watch it for free, save yourself sixty quid. It'd pay for you know almost two years in NordVPN or whatever it is. It's absolutely mad. So uh, sign up, do it. And Bellator this weekend, that's where I'll be watching it because you know I'll have to fly to Canada on my NordVPN and watch it on YouTube <laughs> there. And it's a it's, it's a pretty good card. Uh, all told, do you have, we have two the semifinals of the one thirty five pound tournament. Rafian Stats versus uh, Danny Sabatello, Magomed Magomedov versus Patchy Mix. Um, I think both of these fights are really, really, really good. Um, and we have the obviously the, the title fight as well at one twenty five, the rematch between Liz Carmouche and uh, Juliana Velasquez. Um, Rafian Sats and Sabatello. Look, I, I watched Sats recently, and he fought uh, and beat Magomed Magomedov. Um, in at the end of last year, came in then and beat Juan Arcaleta this year, and I've been so impressed with him. Very well rounded, um, 
great wrestler. If you can stop Mega Medov's wrestling, you know you're a very good wrestler. And now he's fighting another very good wrestler, and Danny Sabatello. You know who's in his last few fights beaten Brett Johns, Jarnell Lugo, and Leandro Higo. Yeah, that's a ridiculous three in a row there, isn't it? Unbelievable. But I think Stats Stats is going to win this fight. I think Stats is a better fighter. I think Stats is a better all around fighter. Like honestly, I think he's one of the best 135 pounders in the world. Um, if I'm being honest, and like Sabatello's right up there as well. 13 and one versus 18 and one. This is a real, real top level fight. Have you been impressed with with both of these, Graham? I know we've been keeping an eye on the 135 yeah. on tournament. Yeah, definitely. Like I mentioned, Sabatello's three in a row there. Like the three in a row for Stoss as well is Hill, Josh Hill, Magomedov, and uh, as you mentioned, uh, that head kick win against Juan Ar- uh, Ar- Coletta. Um, what was I going to say there? Sorry, I've actually forgotten what I was going to say there. I think you were just going to say that he's very good and they're both on three uh, fire runs and, and they're both very good runs. Like, uh, this is a very even matchup and like the build-up has been great as well, which is very unusual for Bellator. Usually there's no build-ups in any of their fights. But like, it's... In the semi-final the tournament, obviously the interim belt is on the the the, the line as well with Sergio Pettis uh, still out and stats stats haven't won that belt. It just like it's one of those fights in Bellator that we actually rarely see these days. Where we're actually looking forward to it and they've actually built it up well. And there is jeopardy on the line, isn't there? Like it's it's very fun. And then like to fight the the Mega Med Mega Meta versus Patchy Mix fight. We've seen Patchy. I saw him up close and personal in Ireland. You know he's very very good. Great wrestling, or maybe not great wrestling but great jiu-jitsu and good striking and uh, I think he's so like he's so dangerous on the ground as well with someone like Magomed Magomedov when he's fighting with him and we know what he's going to be looking for he's going to be looking for takedowns it's going to make it very very difficult so all in all I think they're two very good 135 pound fighting fights who, who do you think will come through Graham and who do you think will be the in the final uh, I think um, I think Magomedov probably is going to win it you know Patchy Mix obviously as you mentioned is very tricky on the ground but uh, I think this is a very difficult matchup for him and I, I agree with you on Stotts but I think I wouldn't be that surprised if Sabatello can get it done as well I think Stotts as you mentioned is definitely a really good prospect but Sabatello is too so yeah I'd, I'd probably lean uh, Stotts versus Magomedov but I, I, I think the in in my mind the, the patchy mix matchup is a little bit more uh, clear cut than the, the main event yeah, I would uh, I would tend to agree as well. Yeah, I would agree with that. And then Liz Carmouche Velasquez, obviously a very good fight the first time around. But and like Juliana Velasquez, very very good fighter. I think one of the top uh, female fighters in the world. And Liz Carmouche did very well to hang with her and you know win the fight. I suppose it was a very weird referee stoppage. Um, I think Velasquez will win it. I think she's very well rounded. I think she won't get into a similar position against Camus this time. I think she'll fight a more even pace, maybe, and I think she'll win that. But I'm definitely looking forward to that. I'm uh, every time Juliana Velasquez fights, I'm I'm tuning in for because I've I love her style, and um, I think Camus like. You have to respect what Carmouche has done. It was great to see her win the title the last time. And you look, if she was to win it uh, again this time, I suppose it would cement it. So it's a very interesting, good fight. Under that then, as always with um, Bellator, they have some of their best prospects. Dalton Rasta against Anthony Adams. Dalton Rasta 7-0, very good prospect. Uh, Denise Kielos against Ilira uh, uh, Joanna, who's the, the Arya Stark lady. Uh, that should be fun. Cody Law is on the card. Kyle Crutchmere is on the card uh, as well. Uh, my guy Pat Downey is on the card. Kai Kamaka. Caspell and Jar- uh, Jared Scoggins. You know, um, Brian Moore is always calling out the two of them. So, yeah, interesting uh 
yeah, interesting card there for uh, for Bellator and then the UFC next week. So, um, yeah, let's move on, and I will throw it over to someone to talk about uh, the weekend's action. So we're here. I'm here. Sean isn't here. It's strange, but you, Sean usually uh, fills in with some, or somebody usually fills in with Sean for me. But this time, Sean's away. I think at a wedding. I, my memory is absolutely terrible. You probably know Harry, but Harry's here anyway. Uh, Harry Powell to break down last night's UFC. We, a little bit of a late podcast, but. Uh, we got it out on Sunday, so it's not too bad. How are you, Harry? I'm grand. Thank you very much for the invite. I appreciate you. Good stuff. We'll get straight into it anyway. We'll start with the main event. Uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and Kevin Holland. What What did you think of the fight going in? Did it, did it kind of go how you thought? And all around thoughts. I saw a lot of people saying it was a, a top or it was a, one of the best fights we've seen in a long time. Would you Would you agree with that? Absolutely not. Um, I mean. Okay, so I, I guess it entirely depends on what you mean by, you know, one of the greatest fights we've seen in a long time. Like, to me, the greatest fights we've seen in a long time are a display of, of mixed martial arts, and that's not what we saw, right? What we saw was... Well, well, we... we yeah, it wasn't... I, I agree not. with you, but we did see some very nice martial arts from some very... Um, uh, you know, Wonder Boy Thompson bringing out the Arsenal for the first time in a while, maybe because he didn't have to worry about the takedowns until uh, Kevin Holland kind of gave up on that whole macho thing. Right. So, I mean, I think there was there was a couple of things. I think, obviously, we saw some great striking from Wonderboy. And I think we saw Kevin Holland in at least the first round look competent and capable and that his power was carrying him through some of those exchanges. Wonderboy was certainly... Um, wary of the power right took some shots took some knees looked a, l a little hurt in the first couple of rounds and i think some of it is wonderboy looked like he had two years out do you know what i mean like he looked like the timing was just slightly off and that picked up as we moved through the fight and that was great to see i think one thing we saw and know now is that wonderboy isn't an elite level welterweight anymore he'll still hang against good guys but if we put him anyone five plus i think that's a tough matchup for him but the reason why i'll, I'll argue it's not one of the greatest fights we've seen in a long time is because twice Kevin Holland was able to to return Wonderboy to the mat without too much difficulty and twice chose not to keep it there twice just you know disengaged from the position and got up and that's not to say that Wonderboy wouldn't have been able to hold himself accountable on the ground and and you know recover guard and get back to his feet or whatever it is he was he was going to be doing there were some cage wrestling exchanges and some cage grappling exchanges where he was able to, to break away from Holland's grips and, and, you know, strike on the break and all of those things. But um, to me, in an MMA context, one of the greatest fights has to include uh, a willingness uh, to fight anywhere. And Kevin Holland didn't have that. And I actually think yeah. that that paid vast detriment to Kevin Holland, not just because Wonderboy was, was a better striker than him, but I think if he had taken Wonderboy down, in the first round when he had the chance or it was the second possibly I forget um, and ground him out a little bit took a little bit of the pop away and made him you know really tactically aware of the of the takedowns he probably wouldn't have had his arm broken because Wonderboy would have changed the range and Wonderboy would have been more wary of the shots that he was throwing but because as you rightly said Wonderboy had zero worry about the takedown he just threw with with whatever he could and we saw some absolutely gorgeous striking do you think? Do you think th that was the reason that Wonderboy was kind of relatively easily taken down by somebody like Kevin Holland, who isn't, you know, exactly a a power shot wrestler? That you know, we, we've seen uh, Wonderboy come up against much better wrestlers in the past and kind of like just stay away, stay away, not even let them in on his hips with ease. 
do you think it was more that he didn't expect it from Holland or do, do you think why do you think it, it was that Wonderboy was kind of relatively easily taken down by somebody like Holland in that fight I think one Holland was far bigger like if, if we looked at it, Wonderboy wasn't small by the stretch of the imagination, but you could tell that, that Holland had had a couple of scraps at middleweight and, you know, was, was okay there. And I also think Wonderboy's just 39 years of age, you know. Uh, his footwork was still fine, but I think you could tell that his, there were portions of the fight where his brain was telling his body to do things and his body was reacting in just half a second or a second later than it would have maybe five years ago. And in MMA, that's everything, right? Those, those timing moments, those transition moments are everything. And whilst after Wonderboy landed some shots and the body kicks had started to eat up Holland a little bit and some of the straight left hands had caused Holland to maybe be more tactically aware of entering the pocket, that allowed Wonderboy the time and it allowed him to be able to maybe make slightly slower steps than he would have five years ago. And then I think by the time we got to the third, at least in the third and then in the fourth, it looked like, you know, the Wonder Boy that that destroyed Jorge Masvidal and the 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 Wonder Boy that we grew to love early in his UFC career. Um but this was uh I think this was a telling fight for both fighters. Firstly that there are two sides to Kevin Holland. The first is that he, in a similar fashion to Michael Chandler, has has sort of carved a shtick for himself and he's pretty dedicated on sticking to that shtick. And he came into this to this fight in the in in the post pre-fight press conferences saying that he wasn't gonna grapple with him. He was going to stand and strike and he chose to to stick to that. I completely disagree with what Michael Bisping Well, well Wonderboy kind of beat the stick out of him in the, end, oh, in the yeah, end. This exactly and this is what I was saying. I think by the end of it, he was looking like a man that was just desperate to stay in the fight. You know, and I think that's who Kevin Holland is as an actual person. When everything is stripped back, I think you get to see who these fighters really are. But certainly, I, I disagree with what Bisping said at the start when the when Holland took took him down the first time and let him back up. Bisping, you know, lauded admiration on him and said, "Oh, like what a gangster! What a this is this is dumb fighting. Like it's dumb. It may be entertaining, but it's dumb. You know." Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, not, you know, the game plan to beat Wonderboy Thompson is definitely not standing in front of him as long as possible. Right. But, uh, like, the fact that Kevin Holland was able to take so many big shots from Wonderboy, do you think that, why do you think that was? Do you think he was just no-selling them, trying to act the gangster? Or do you think maybe Wonderboy can't put the same amount of power in, in these shots? Like, you know, even a couple of the kicks, I know he ended up breaking his, uh, his arm with the, the kicks, but... Some of those kicks, you know, maybe in the past we've seen Wonderboy put people away with them and, you know, maybe it's, you know, time off and time off at a, at a latter age in terms of your career maybe is uh, harder to come back from than when you're when you're in your 20s and 30s. Do you think it's just an accumulation of all those things or do you think it's just we're seeing the the kind of the beginning of the end of, of Wonderboy and we, we might sooner, sooner rather than later kind of, you know, be looking at him and thinking oh, it's time to call it quits or do you think he still has a bit of steam left in him for next few years. So I think there's a couple of questions in there, right? The, the first one is on what's, what's Wonderboy's trajectory of his career. And I think if, if we match him correctly, he can absolutely continue to fight for another couple of years. And, and I think he can be in some really fun fights and showcase some of the similar things that we saw on Saturday. And main event, which they, they need as well. So Exactly. A name that people know, love. They love his character. They like his fighting style. You know, all of that helps, right? Absolutely helps. 
In terms of why was Kevin Holland able to take the shots, I mean, it could be an accumulation of, of, of a bag of things. It could be that Wonderboy didn't want to gas himself out and was taking a little bit a little bit of the shots off. It could have been that, similar to RDA Moicano in their fight, that Wonderboy started to take a little bit of mercy on Holland, right, and took a little bit off the shots. It certainly didn't seem like he, had, he was able to generate the same amount of whip on some of those kicks, right? Like... Some of the kicks that we've seen, the um, is it Rick Story that he absolutely murdered? Um, well, I mm, forget. I'd have to pull up. I don't was well, Dan Stitcham in his yeah in his something UC like debut. that. But like when when the ability for him to move his hips and generate power with his hips used to be insane, right? And it just didn't look at the same level. And that could be that he's thirty nine. It could be, as we said, that maybe he's taking a little bit off those shots. It could be that Kevin Holland's just really fucking tough, like and. He took he took a lot of those shots and didn't look vastly wobbled by all of them. You know there wasn't massive, you know wobbly legs or any of these things. I uh, I was impressed by Holland's toughness. You know if that's what it was, but you know as as we know at the elite 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 level, if your general skills aren't up to an elite level, your toughness won't allow you to win fights. Yeah, uh, like I'm interested in seeing where where Thompson goes from here. I've always been a fan of his style. Like, uh, you know, obviously at, at the very top level, he kind of, you know, dropped the ball a little bit and maybe Dana White doesn't favor him because of that. But I do hope the UFC kind of, you know, make the right matchups as you kind of uh, hinting at there going forward for Wonderboy. You know, put him in there with people like Kevin Holland who are willing to at least stand a little bit with him and we can have some wars or back and forths or some crazy, you know, Wonder Boy kicks and things like that. So hopefully going forward, the UFC um, match him up well. But it, it doesn't seem to me anyway, I don't know what you think about this. There doesn't seem to be much rhyme or reason behind uh, some of the matchmaking recently anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. We, we've spoken about a, a, this a lot on the preview show. We've spoken about it a lot on the takeaways. Um, matchmaking is, you know, empirically important in the way that divisions are built and in the way that stars are built, right? That fighters are built. And it certainly doesn't feel like there's a lot of rhyme or reason, as you've just said, to the way that the matches are, are made and, and the way that these things are played out. You know, we, we will hearken back as Luddites to the way that Joe Silver used to, uh, match divisions and it seemed like there was a progressive path for everyone. It doesn't really seem like that's the same way, at least not with the same consistency. So, I agree with you 100%. I think Wonderboy could absolutely still give us some some really great fights and some really really interesting performances, but I mean, I don't I certainly don't want to see him in a number 1 contender's fight. I don't want to see him, you know, trying to push for a title again. I don't I don't think he's at that level anymore. Yeah, I agree. Unfortunately, you know, father time catches up with everybody. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'll just jump to quickly uh, to a potential, you know, future star. I don't know what you think about this, but uh Pavlovich against Taito Avasa, what a performance. So absolutely, oh, the power, the, the force with which, 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 which he was throwing was just unbelievable. Like, Taito Avasa just, just started wilting straight away under, under the pressure. And, uh, you know, he's a tough guy. He tried to swing back, but the, the relentlessness of it as well, he was just a man on a mission there. And he was really, really impressive. I mean, I think the thing that, that impressed me the most about Pavlovich was the first shot, the first right hand he threw had tied to Avassa, not just worried, but covering up. Had the oh shit look on his face straight away. A hundred percent. And when you have a, a heavyweight that 
can grapple, can stop takedowns, and has that sort of power. I mean, you've got you've got a bona fide title contender on your hands, right? I think one of the, th- the questions that we asked, and maybe I'll get your thoughts on this, one of the questions we asked in the preview going in was that Taito Avasa took a hell of a lot of damage against Cyril Garn not that long ago, and now he's coming in with a wrecking ball like Pavlovich. Like, the question we asked going in was, did tie to Avassa maybe need to take a little bit more time off? And as you yeah. always say, it's easy to be the general after the battle, but it kind of did feel as though as soon as that first shot connected, that tie to Avassa wasn't in a position to take shots. Now that could be that. Uh, I don't know. Just, like the shot looked, all the shots looked so heavy that I think even if he was in, in prime condition had been out for, you know, nine months rest and Jesus, I don't know the, the ill intent on those and the the sharpness of those strikes, he, it's just, it's it's hard for it's hard to take them. You know, uh, maybe it's a factor. Maybe he would have taken them a little bit better, but I think either way, he was he was getting destroyed there. And you know, he's, sure. I picked him to win this. Fight. I thought he, I thought it was like could go either way, but I thought he might have you know the bigger power. But I was completely wrong. So I think the the my prediction was that it was going to be similar. I just expected like uh, Pavlovich threw six shots in that opening flurry. And after the sixth shot, it was a left hand he threw. Ty came back with like a really short elbow and caught Pavlovich pretty clean, but it just had zero effect, no effect whatsoever. Pavlovich didn't even, it just looked like a a bit of wind had hit his chin. And it was that moment. It was the moment in the chaos. It was the moment in the midst of the flurries when, as we know, Ty isn't just going to fall over. He's absolutely going to try and find a way out of there. He's absolutely going to try and find a way to get his respect and his space. I thought that that exchange would cause Pavlovich some problems and it absolutely didn't. It didn't in any way, shape or form. And, you know, Pavlovich reset nicely, cracked Ty a number of times. Ty actually dropped himself by swinging so hard on a right hand. And I mean, we were just in, like, we're in desperation, chaos mode in Ty to Avassa's mind. And the uppercut that eventually put Ty to the canvas was absolutely hellacious. Absolutely hellacious. Yeah, he's a he's a scary hitter. Like you know, <laughs> I don't think there's going to be too many people lining up for him. But you know, from Taito Avassa's side of things, you know, three months in between the last two fights, I know he took a lot of damage, but three months isn't like you know Bisping hopping in there against Gastelum or something like that. I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think he can put too much emphasis into it. Like you know, obviously it's not ideal, but this happens like semi regularly in MMA. But you know, maybe in the future when they study the brains and all and they know more about the CTE and concussions and all maybe three months is nowhere near enough time I'm definitely no expert and all that stuff so if I was a fighter or whatever my family member or friend was like I have friends who are fighters I prefer they don't you know they take a bit of time off um, but yeah three months I wouldn't be putting too much weight in I wouldn't definitely wouldn't take anything away from uh, Pavlovich's uh, performance you know I'm, I know you're not saying I know you're not saying that but just you know I think it's going to be hard for Taito Ivasa, even even at his best, or any any heavyweight at his best, to take those punches. You know, maybe, you know, maybe as we go up the the rankings a little bit more with Pavlovich, it, we'll, we'll find some holes in his game. But on that performance, he just looked he looked a real problem for everybody. And you know, I'm definitely interested going forward to see to see uh, him step up and to see what he looks like and to see him answer questions going forward. I mean, I think that the UFC are either going to do Curtis Blades Pavlovich or they'll wait for Aspinall to come back and they'll do that as a headliner in London. Do you need to put those Aspinall and Pavlovich in there together yet? You know, I don't think you should. Look, 
I'm telling you what I think the UFC will do, not what I think should yeah, happen. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm saying you think they should, though. I don't, I don't like when they do this. You know, I even agree. when they did it with Ryan Bader and John Jones, even though John Jones is like the way better fighter, is two up and coming, undefeated prospects or, or whatever, or two, two like hot, hotly uh, tipped guys and you right. just don't need to derail one like that you know uh, especially especially in the John Jones Bader when everybody kind of knew who was going to win and ages ago when when both Jack Shaw and Nathaniel Wood were signed to the UFC and everyone was screaming for that fight and we were like please don't do that right now like there's no need to see that right now obviously neither of them uh, were are screaming towards title contention at this current moment but you know both were coming in with, with lots and lots of hype around them and I agree with you you don't necessarily need to put those sorts of contenders together right away I think in heavyweight it's slightly different as the, the pool is slightly more shallow but I, I agree like let's see Curtis Blades Pavlovich right let's see if he can stop the takedown let's yeah. see if he can land those shots and then when Aspinall comes back he can fight I don't know who, whoever it's going to be right but yeah I um, I was yeah, massively like if, he can, if he can put away like Derek Lewis in the first round tied to Avast in the first round and then you know a Blaze or something like that in the first round then you, you know this guy's legit like this guy's this guy's ready but I don't think there's any need to rush him and I hope they don't I'm always kind of oh don't rush don't rush don't rush but you know he's only 30 which is a baby for, <laughs> for this division you know there's definitely no need to rush here and you know he probably like he could go in there uh, uh, beat the champion, but you don't. Need, I don't think you need to. You, need, you don't think you need to, to risk that. You know, let's see a bit of his wrestling. You know, he has a Greco-Roman wrestling background. Let's let's kind of see more of that. Let's see uh, him prove himself before you throw him in there. And then the win for the the champion or the contender, if they are to get it over Pavlovich, would be a bigger win then. So yeah, uh, we'll probably come back to him uh, a lot over the the next couple of years by the by the looks of things. But uh, we'll, we'll just jump back to the, the co-main event. Rafael Lasanos and Brian Barberena. Uh, you know, uh, kind of what you expected here. Bit of a uh, Rafael Lasanos fight and a Barberena fight mixed together pretty much. What, what you would have what you would have expected. Is anything any kind of comments on this one? I mean, going in, we sort of said that RDA was just a better version of Barberena everywhere, right? Like he he throws he, he they both like pressure footwork. They both like to throw shots in the pocket. They both like to grapple. Um, I think Barbarena just isn't at the level of RDA. And that, 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 there's no problem with that, right? You're not going to find out the level you're at unless you go in and fight these types of guys. Um, but I just thought that in the first opening, like in the opening stanza of the first round, I thought Barbarena's sort of awkward pouring style and just the tipper-tapper sort of uh, low kicks, body kicks, high kicks were not frustrating RDA, but it wasn't the type of fight that RDA wanted, right? RDA wants to go in there and he wants to be fighting with guys that are conventional strikers. They're going to stand in a conventional stance. They're going to throw jabs. They're going to throw right hands because that's what he's conventionally drilled to get underneath them get people to the fence and take them down. Barbarena wasn't doing that, right? He was a lot more square in his stance. He was a lot more sort of awkward and jerky in his feints and his movements. Though eventually when RDA just chose to wade on in and get the fight to the ground, I mean, it was it was a mauling, right? Like it was a mauling from, from the start of the first until the finish. When RDA got Barbarena to the ground, it was a mauling. And, and RDA showed what good top control in MMA is and that's always threatening a number of things it's either he's threatening damage he's threatening positional dominance or the advancement of grips and Barbarena just had very little answer because it's very hard to answer those questions you either get hit a lot and you try to get up 
or you sacrifice the position and get hit or you sacrifice grips which is going to mean that you're going to either then get hit or sacrifice further positional dominance and for Brian Barberina you know he's a tough fighter he's a tough man he was never looking for a way out there but when RDA got the the man- mandible strangle which is like the the strangle across the jaw and you sort of close the the arteries with the jaw um yeah I mean it's it's tough right it's tough RDA did RDA things and I was very, very impressed, as always, with RDA. Obviously, he was going to call out Connor. Um, I have no idea whether whether that fight happens or doesn't happen. Um, but yeah, definitely I mean, worth a call out, though. You know, why not? You, you get a win. Why not call him out? You know, why might not? be might be one like you know the UFC tried to put it together before he was champion. They probably won't be thinking of it as a as a big pay per view buy, but a, a big pay per view earner. There's not really a huge kind of beef there. There's a little bit you could kind of bring out of the. The, the the archives but if they're looking to give Connor like a warm-up fight when he comes back you know a test a real test you know a difficult style for Connor but you know I could see it happening but I do think the UFC will probably want to you know do the biggest pay-per-views they can with Connor while they can so I think Kevin Holland that's probably unlikely <laughs> yeah you never know you never know if he says the wrong thing you know Connor might be campaigning for it but um, yeah we'll fly through to some of the other um, fights on the card yeah you know Roman Delizze and Jack Manson any any thoughts on that it wasn't gorgeous yeah. like I, I thought this this was my favourite fight on the card coming in um and the reason for that was because I just wanted to see what would happen when we got to the grappling exchanges. Delidze has a really active guard and we got to see a little bit of that. Um, Delidze hits very hard and, and is happy to sort of be flat-footed. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way at all. He, he's just sitting in his stance really, really heavy so that his shots are really impactful. And I think we saw that early on. I think Jack was the far more active fighter dealt a lot of damage with those low kicks but when it came to the straight shots it, it certainly seemed like Delidze had the uh, the the more impactful strikes with his hands um the grappling exchanges in the first I thought were fine were were, were grand I thought Delidze did a good job of keeping himself safe and then the actual finish from Delidze was pretty 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 interesting so Delidze obviously hit the flower sweep in in the the first round but hesitated and Jack managed to get to his back and you know do the things in the second round, he tried to use the same flower sweep, but this time went for an armbar because Jack left his arm on the far hip. Um, Jack then defended that and gave Delidze a K-guard. He then went to double outside, double outside looking for outside heel hooks, and Jack did the right thing by sucking his knee line out. But Delidze then went for the calf crush, right? And and um, essentially all that is, is going from the double outside position, which is Delidze having both of his legs on the outside space of, of Jack Hermanson's hips. And he just laced his inside leg, which was his left leg at this time, across the back of, uh, of Jack's knee and then locked up a triangle. Now, conventionally, what Jack was trying to do is turn the corner and like slip his knee line all the way out and then try to take side control. But Delidze did a really good job of holding the, the far hip with like that overhook type grip that he had from dogfight and just pulled Jack all the way back over and then sort of sat his hips low and that meant Jack had no base whatsoever and Delidze just rolled him to his front. And I mean, I, was, I would have been very shocked if Jack had tapped to the calf crush, but, but obviously it's very difficult for Jack to get out if he can't straighten both of his legs and so he managed to get ground and padded out. I think it was a, a really, really nice transition and some really interesting transitions from the bottom from Delidze to even set up the, the the calf crush. So very, very impressive finish. And then uh, just before that was Eric Anders and Kyle Dawkins. 
you know, Eric Anders is a big win for me. He looked, he looked sharp, you know, uh, sometimes he's a bit, he's a bit inconsistent. I think, you know, he definitely has potential, but you don't really know which, which version of him you're, you're going to get. Um, he's a hard, he's a hard man to bet on in, in that way, but uh, he looked really good here. He looked really strong in all positions, you know, Carl Dawkins maybe didn't look great, but didn't really, you know, wasn't given much of a chance. Eric Anders, he just, he, he just looked at the stronger, harder hitter all around. He just, you know, he just went through him basically. Yeah, I think this this fight was a was a good example of what the judges are looking for, right? I thought Carl Dorcas moved well, used his jab pretty well, used some low kicks quite nicely, and he might land four or five shots, and then Eric Anders lands one, and it's very impactful yeah. and. Not only is that what the judges are, are looking for, I also think that's... It's not even four or five. You could land 20 of those leg kicks and jabs and he could land one shot and, you know, you got to be pretty... Mind your P's and Q's and not get hit at all if you're going to win rounds with that style. You know, you got to put some power into them. You've got to put them in, you know, in peril. And yeah, I don't know, like, is he going to be able to do that? Well, exactly. And I think this is proliferating now through the way that fighters are just generally training and looking at the sport is that you're going to get guys like Eric Anders who are like, oh, okay, I don't need to be really active. I just need to land five shots around. They just have to be really, you know, I just have to load up and I have to be there and I have to land my shot. Now, we're going to talk about Mark Casey in a little bit and obviously we'll get to Matt Schnell and whatever in a second, but because this is a good example of the same, same thing we're talking about. But Anders is just being in his face, pressure footwork, pressure footwork, really heavy hips to stop the takedowns and then just lands big shots and <laughs> won in the MMA fight really, really, really beautifully, right? And if you're Kyle Dorcas, you may think that you were the more technical fighter on the night, but that doesn't matter in MMA when impactful striking is one, what the judges are looking for and two, what it disconnects you from your consciousness. And I thought, I agree, Eric Anders, you know, he's a difficult man to bet on sometimes, he's a difficult man to analyze sometimes too, but yeah, he looked good. Don't don't know how I skipped over my 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 boy Matt. I was going to say team captain of fucking yeah, team Graham over there. Uh, not a good performance uh, again. I don't know. You know. Hear me out, right? Hear me out. Okay. I feel like one Mateus Nicolau is a very good fighter. I think the style of Nicolau, uh, that sort of counter pressure, the guy that's going to look active, try and get you to bait feints and bait over committing on shots and then land on you is a difficult one for the new match now. Like, the old match now would have gone in there and just thrown the kitchen sink at him in the first round and whatever happens, happens. But it certainly felt like match now comes out looking like an Omegamedov brother and, you know, with the bald head and the beard and the stuff. But he just looked like he wanted to adopt a new style. And that new style was to pressure footwork himself, try not to get hit, and try to do Nikolaus' style. That against other fighters. Matt, Matt Danger adverse Snell. Matt Danger adverse Snell. Yeah, exactly. And look, frankly, it's the smart way to fight because we know that when he throws the kitchen sink at people, he's either got nothing in rounds two and three or he stopped in round one, right? And I think for Snell, it may just be a touch too late because whilst he looked good at the pressure footwork, he looked good trying to enter the pocket and not do it recklessly. And I was actually impressed with the adoption of the new style. The fundamental framework of Machnell's game, what he was sort of embodied in himself before this style change is, if somebody throws, I'm going to take a shot to land a shot. And when that's against somebody like Nicolau, who the first drop in the first round just fakes a right hand, comes over with a big left, Schnell bites on that feint and here we are. I feel like Schnell could be in a transition 
And that transition is, I'm going to try to be more risk averse and I'm going to try to be more calculated. I think my question going forward for Machinal is one, can he implement that successfully? But two, is his chin up for that type of style change? I don't, I don't and know. And three, is he, is the UFC going to keep him around long enough to implement this style change? Sure. You know, sure. it was, I thought it was a pretty important for him to get the win. Maybe, you know, shaving his head and his, his chest is, might save him from getting cut, but you know, if he had a missed weight and lost that fight, he probably would have been gone. He might be gone anyway. We've seen people cut for less, but, you know, bring back the old mass now is what I say. But uh, we'll just run through some of these quickly before we before we talk about a couple more. Obviously, uh, there was a, there was a couple of early fights. Uh, Francis Marshall, Marcel Rojo, uh, Marshall TKO, punches, remains undefeated. Uh, Nathan Levy, Valdez, unanimous decision. Jonathan Pierce, Elkins, unanimous decision. Elkins, you know, took a hell of a beating as, as he always does. Uh, Clay Guida, Scott Holtzman, uh, split decision for Clay Guida. I thought it was just about the right decision, although you know there wasn't much damage either. Uh, there wasn't much damage to separate them in the in the in the rounds. Uh, Angela Hill got a decision. She actually got one this time. Um, no surprise she went to a decision there, but maybe a little bit of a surprise that she actually got the decision there. Um, I don't know how to pronounce Yasmin's uh, second name here, but she remained undefeated, <laughs> beating Estela Nunes uh, in the, the first fight of the night. Any thoughts on, uh, or sorry, Nico Price uh, lost by TKO to Philip Rowe. Uh, any thoughts on those fights before we talk about the, the Michael Johnson, Mark Jack, Jack Hazy? Yeah, so Clay Guida, a tough fight to score. I'll always defer to, to people like yourselves and Shawnee and Spencer on, on judging. I'm certainly not the man for that, but it was a Clay Guida fight, right? He tried to do some pressure stuff and tried to, you know, do a bit of that janky hitting, find these things happen. Fair play to Angela Hill. Um, you know, in the Clay Guida, in the old days when he was in his pomp, that would have been a clear decision for Clay Guida. He would have got the takedowns and stole the rounds, as Daniel Cormier likes to say, but... You know, for a style fighter like him in, 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 at his age, he's doing very well to still be picking up wins inside the UFC, in my opinion. I agree. On the Phil Rowe, Nico Price, I think it can be literally put into in, in a single word, and that's that Phil Rowe just lands straight shots and Nico Price doesn't throw any straight shots. Like there, are mom- there were moments in that where Nico Price had some success and Phil Rowe just throws a jab and Price just screams into it like it's a jousting stick. And, you know, there, were, there was a moment in the third where Phil Rowe looked real tight and in real danger and then just managed to throw some straight shots and get Nico Price out of there. It was an enjoyable enough fight. Um, Nico Price was channeling his, his Dan Henderson vibes with double, double knee sleeves and a shaved head. But um, yeah, I mean, fair play to Phil Rowe. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I've got lots of thoughts on Dia Casey and Johnson if you want to jump to that one. Yeah, uh, Mark Casey obviously, you know, Got off to a pretty good start, I thought. Uh, I thought he won the first round. Uh, I saw one of the judges gave a 30-27, but I think, uh, you know, it was it was pretty clear. 29-28, uh, you know. I think he kind of, Jacquezi kind of threw away the third round at the very end. Uh, it's just, you know. I think know, he threw away both the second and the third, frankly. Yeah. Like, if yeah, but, he, you know, he had the fight in the bag with how many seconds to go, and he, you just got to be a bit more careful, maybe. You know, obviously, you know, Johnson experienced guy been everywhere made it happen but from Jacasey I'd say he'd be kicking himself after after that you, you know you know you mentioned as well the second round he kind of let it slip away a little bit as well but yeah it's just a, that's a tough loss and he's been kind of looking looking much improved recently and did look good in in spells in this fight but it's a, it's a hard loss to take my problem with Mark Diacasey is that he's his his striking game is 
It's Jack Hazy, by the way. I didn't get Is recalls Jack with Jack Hazy. Jack Hazy. Yeah. Understood. Understood. Mark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my my issue with Mark's game is that a lot of his stand-up is based on his athleticism and if you just look at the way that Johnson dealt with it in that first round it felt to me that the, the game plan for Johnson was let him tire himself out in the first round he's going to throw the spinning stuff we're going to stop the takedowns and then he's going to have a little bit less pop in the second and the third and we're just going to put our foot on the gas we're going to try to pressure footwork him make him move make him work and then when there's when that first round pop is gone, we'll start to implement our game plan a little bit, which is going to be, you know, throwing the counters and, and whatever else. And Mark, I was going to say Jack Casey, Jack Casey, uh, Jack Casey, whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> I'm such a god. I always get everybody's names oh, wrong. Yeah, and I'm still correct you on the one name you get wrong. I yeah, can't pronounce sorry. anybody's name. Mark. Uh, yeah, I, I just. You're not going to beat volume fighters with the faint game and the long stance that he has, unless you're going to land big one punch power. If you have one big, big one punch power and he has that, but he doesn't have the setups, right? When he was coming, he was showing Johnson what was coming. Johnson was allowing the big load up to come, whether it was a low kick, whether it was the flying knee, whether it was the spinning side kick, whether it was a teep, whatever it was, he was allowing it to come and then just landing bigger shots in the counters. I thought that, Johnson made the third round harder for himself by in the last two or three minutes just accepting to be in pocket exchanges with Mark. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever when in the second round the game plan was working absolutely beautifully of just pressuring him and landing your counters. But I thought in the first, Mark played in just fine to Johnson's game plan. I don't know where the the persistent grappling was. Like it didn't feel like he was trying to implement a footwork game that tried to change the pressure dynamic. It was Johnson walking him down the entire time rather than uh, Mark trying to reverse that and try to get Johnson to the cage and do a bit of the cage grappling that we saw. I also don't think that just because Johnson managed to stuff both the, both the takedown attempts that we just give up on the grappling, you know, entirely. And I think the problem for that just stems from that that core athleticism base. It's not one that has fundamental fighting written on it. He wasn't trying to win the outside foot battle. He wasn't checking the low kicks. He wasn't, you know, throwing low kicks with, with any setup. They were just naked low kicks and he was getting countered from them. And then he did the same thing. Like I just wish that there was more adherence to fundamental principles that would then allow him to be explosive and allow him to do stuff. It feels like everything is thrown at 80, 90, hundred percent. Whereas Johnson's throwing at 50%, 50%, 80% the third shot, 60%, 80% the fifth shot, like a little bit like Dustin Poirier does, right? Where he throws at 60, conserves that energy. And then when he's mid, mid uh, combination or end of combination just lands a big shot. I just, yeah, I don't know. It feels like we've gone backwards with, with Mark Jer Casey here. And, and that's a shame because <laughs> in the last three fights, he looked phenomenal. Yeah. You know, it's one, it's one, it's a setback, you know, it's definitely, you're coming in there, in there against an experienced guy and maybe the experience told a little bit in the end, you know, Jacasey's definitely, you know, that's a 22nd fight, but I think, Michael Johnson's pushing 40 fights, so he's been at the top level as well for for a bit longer. You know, he's been he's been around the UFC a long time. Maybe, you know, in the future with a bit more experience, Mark would have been able to edge that out. I think he would have been. I think he should have edged it out, as I kind of said before. <sighs> you know, uh, uh, I, I always enjoy a Jacasey fight, you know. Yeah, I, I'd like to see him come out there and maybe, I don't know, like I'm no expert, I'd like to see him out there and try, and try to wait and counter a little bit more. Not to, you know, not to try and lead as much. 
and he definitely has explosive power. He has a lot of different techniques that he, that he can throw, that he can throw a lot of devastating techniques, and he has the wrestling as well. So uh, maybe the game planning just needs to be improved a little little bit. He needs to, he needs to kind of be a little bit more unpredictable because he has he like he has the tools there to be that guy. I think, and he definitely he definitely has the tools to to be at a um, a better position, a better ranking, in, in, if you want to put it like that, in the UFC than than he is. And he kind of looked as as you hinted at there. He kind of looked like he was on that track, and this is definitely a, a setback. But maybe it's one that he can go back to the gym and say, oh, "I just made stupid mistakes," and you know. They're ones you can learn from and you kind of, you know, you got to learn the hard way sometimes. Maybe, I guess, and maybe this is me being hypercritical, but he's had those fights already, you know? Like, he has had those fights. Those were the fights that forced him to to make the turnaround in the last three that we've just seen, you know? Like, those were the fights yeah, that he... Still only in. 29, though. You know, he's been around sure. a long time. He's still only 29. Sure, mm. still only 29. Yeah. And, and, you know, in that division, even 29, 30 isn't super old. You know, he's still got a good four or five years left of fighting. It's not like he's taken extreme amounts of damage in his fights. There's not been fights where he's been, you know, brutalized and stopped. Yes, he's lost fights. Yes, he's, you know, he's been dominated in fights, but not, not in a, you know, not in an overwhelming damage perspective. So I'm sure that he's still got, time in the tank. The one thing I did wonder, I saw in the, in the first round, both he was wearing two knee sleeves in this one. Um, and there was a moment that he threw a low kick and it missed. And as he placed his left foot down, he like staggered back as Johnson was countering that low kick. And as he staggered back and put his left foot down, he sort of, he seemed to like pull his knee, maybe a touch or like twist his knee. Cause he immediately like grimaced and pulled his left leg up. And you know, when you've hurt your knee. And yeah. You, like, yeah. On it I, I noticed something as well. I've, I forgot about that. I was, I was thinking when that happened, I was trying to remember and I was pretty sure that he'd worn knee straps recently in fights as well. I don't know if this is a persistent knee problem that he maybe needs surgery on, doesn't want to get surgery on or something like that, or it's just a flaring up thing. But, you know, maybe, you know, getting surgery on that might be the, if, if there is a problem there, like I've no inside information. Obviously I haven't, Same. haven't actually spoken to Mark in a long time, but, um, you know, sometimes these guys try to fight through injuries and, you're better off just I know you you need that money to feed your kids and your family and all but for your longevity in, in the UFC and your longevity of getting these paydays you know your knee is pretty important <laughs> as, as a fighter especially so yeah I did notice that myself as well and, and uh, I should have checked this but I, I I think in previous fights he was wearing maybe not double knee braces but single knee braces so or knee uh, strapping so yeah maybe just something there but yeah, this, yeah, I would say it again, this is a fight that he kind of just let slip through his fingers and, you know, fair play to Johnson for making it happen. You know, he definitely, you know, rose to the to the moment when, when it came. But, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one to take for Mark. But, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us, Harry. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, I usually do a, a song lyric quote. Uh, so you have about 10 seconds to come up with one of your favorite one or two lines from a, a music quote to, to um, take us out. Oh, good lord! Um, <laughs> Gave him no warning. Oh, uh, oh, Come Jesus on. Christ! I've dead no air, idea. dead air. <laughs> I've no idea. I've absolutely no idea. Um, I know "Face the Pain" is your favorite song, isn't it? Oh, you can, you can, you can recite lyrics from that. Just, just for, just face the pain. Fucking hell. no, no. Come on, you're Let not, you're not getting out of it that Hold easy. On. Come on, Harry. Don't leave the people waiting. Oh, we need, we, we need, we need a lyric. Uh, surely, okay. surely you got a one-liner or two-liner for us. Uh, oh God, I can't believe you've done this. What the fuck? <laughs> oh God, I have nothing. Harry. I have nothing. What? What's your fucking Morrissey quote that you usually give? 
I'll give you one. I was looking for a job and then I found a job and heaven knows I'm miserable now. Thanks for joining us. Cheers for tuning in. Thanks again, Harry. Beautiful.